Ossoff, co-founder and co-editor and your host for today's episode. Our focus for today will be on the state of good old-fashioned tape storage in 2018 with longtime industry veteran Matt Starr. Matt's been at tape giant Spectrologic for 24 years, where he has seen a great many things come and go as CTO. Among other things at Spectra, he served as the lead engineering architect for both the design and production of their, their T-Series tape library family, which is still a core product. Today we'll talk about some of what he's seen evolve over the years and what's next for a storage medium that I think will stick around for a long time to come. Isn't that right, Matt? I, I would believe so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Tape is here to stay. Yep. So it's funny because a lot of people, I think, um, tend to they, they, t- they tend to pick on tape as being somewhat outdated as a technology. But in fact, if you look at what some of the hyperscale data centers are doing, um, you know, it's it's very clear that it's going to get a new life as scale increases at the Facebooks and Googles and Amazons of the world. And obviously, it will, it will always have a place in HPC. So give us a sense of what the future is for tape. So uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting with tape is it, it leverages itself off the disk platforms. So if you think about disk drive technology, uh, tape happens to be about 15 years behind it. So uh, the current tape drive types are LTO, linear tape open, um, and that tape drive used to run a GMR head, giant magneto-resistive head, which was from the disk drive industry. And so today uh, at LTO 8, uh, we just released a TMR head, a tunnel magneto-resistive head, and that's the head that's going to carry us probably out to LTO 10, maybe LTO 11, possibly even to LTO 12. So tape really does have some really long legs as far as technology goes because they're leveraging a disk drive market or disk drive technology from 15 years or more back. Mm-hmm. And, and with that with that in mind, how are some of the use cases changing? What are some things maybe you wouldn't have expected to happen five years ago, say? Well, I, I think the use case for tape has, has changed over time. And, and probably the th- where people think about tape being dead, if you've ever heard that term, you hear, you see Sepaton, which is no tape, which is low-end backup. Small uh, SMB backup really has gone either disk-to-disk or basically to a cloud or outsourced backup system. Where tape is thriving is in archive. Um, that's the growth market for tape right now. And so let's look at the customers that are, are those archiving customers, media and entertainment, oil and gas, bioinformatics, you brought up HPC, and of course cloud. All of those guys are the, are the massive data holders. And a lot of that data is either very cold, cold, or barely warm. And so that's data that they want to keep that may have value in the future, but they want to store it at a very low cost and be able to get to it within a few minutes. And that's the ideal storage media for tape. Mm -hmm. I I think that's something a lot of people don't understand. It's just how quick it is to actually retrieve stuff off of tape. It used to be a heck of a lot longer. I mean, talk about the evolution of just performance and accessibility of tape over the years. You've seen all of this in, in almost 25 years, right? Yeah, so transfer rates transfer rates are always going up. And, and, and basically, transfer rates are directly related to how fast the tape is physically moving. Um, but today's tape is running at 360 megabytes a second. And to give you kind of an idea what that is, that's basically three times faster than a standalone disk drive. So if you had a disk drive, a 12, 8 terabyte or 12 terabyte, disk drive, three and a half inch disk drive, it'll run a little over 100 megabytes per second. A single tape drive 
is about three times faster on its transfer rate, both read and write. Um, if you're compressing the data, which a tape drive can do internal to the drive itself, those data transfer rates can go up two and a half, three times faster. So yeah, very, very fast as far as once you get that drive streaming. There is, uh, you know, I will say it this way, there's overhead in getting the tape mounted and getting positioned to data. And again, why we talk about tape being ideal for cold storage is usually with those cold storage things, you're not pulling back a 4K file. You're pulling back something that's, you know, 400 megabytes, a gigabyte, 20 gigabytes. Um, we have customers today storing seven terabyte files. Um, a single file that's seven terabytes, and so oh. you know when you're pulling that off tape, it's 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 a streaming operation. Mm -hmm. uh, that brings up an important point too. Never mind just speed, but capacity. Where, when you started, what was the capacity, and and how is that scaled? Is there kind of a curve that you can look at and go, wow, it's it's straight uphill, <laughs> or are there bumps in that? Yeah, the Insic roadmap is probably the good one that shows that tapes roughly on a forty percent to 60% compound annual growth. Uh, when I started with tape, uh, nine track was around. So that's the kind of reel-to-reel -reel tape that you see in the background on it. Every, every sci-fi movie that shows tape, you see the two reels <laughs> kind of wiggling back and forth. That's where I started with it. But the, 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 the tape that was changing the landscape there was a tape made by Exabyte Corporation in Boulder, Colorado. And it is the eight millimeter cassette uh, that you probably used to in small camcorders. That tape held two gigabytes. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, and I think it ran at, you know, 20 or 30 megabytes per second. I can't remember the exact transfer rate, but, you know, just an evolutionary tape from going from a few hundred megabytes to two gigabytes in a much smaller form factor. Uh, it was one of those tapes that changed, uh, or one of those devices that changed the tape roadmap. And then after that came things like uh, DLT tape, uh, then the LTO Open Consortium started up. So each each generation of tape has really uh, taken a big leap forward. And, and LTO right now is on its eighth generation uh, with a roadmap out to 12. So still some long legs mm -hmm. left there. Right. What's, what's on the cutting edge for tape? I mean, is there something that promises hugely dramatic improvements in, in the next five to 10 years that's sort of researchy and on the horizon, or, or is it sort of just a, a steady-as-she-goes uh, roadmap right now? Uh, it, it's pretty, st I mean, there's there's not, I don't see a, you know, something that's going to take, go from generation X to X plus one that's going to give you a 5X or 10X increase. The roadmap right now is, is a doubling roadmap. So we're running uh, 12 terabytes today. We're going to go to 24, 25 terabytes next, then on to 40, you know, between 48 and 50 the, after that. And, and you're going to just see this doubling, and that's pretty consistent for tape. Uh, the other thing is we're, we're going into a two-year roadmap, so where that's used to be out to 30 to 36 months, it's, it's peeling back into 24 months. Uh, so you'll see a doubling capacity every 20, roughly every 24 months, and really what you want to think about there is every 24 months your price per gigabyte goes in half um, or more so yeah that's a it's it's a nice thing mm -hmm. as far as technology goes there we're on barium ferrite as our as our substrate or our magnetic technology possibly strontium ferrite in the future um, as a smaller particle to get the bit a little smaller smaller bit faster transfer rate Mm -hmm. And those are those are sort of bleeding edge new materials. This is an unfamiliar to me. Are these things that are still in development, or or have they been around for a long time? Uh, a barium ferrite's been around for a while. It was it was on disc platters for for quite a while. There were some floppy disks that actually used barium ferrite. Now, each time you build something like this, you you of course learn from your mistakes of the past, and they build it better. So, today's tape 
uh, based barium ferrite technology. Um, the the track pitches, you know, I think it's uh, in, in a few microns. Um, so you're really getting pretty small, just like the disk drives ha guys had to do 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you you brought up a couple minutes ago uh, the issue of price. So. Um, in the past, when you and I have talked, we, we've just, we've described the the state of tape as we've done in, in a couple of years. Anyway, I've done a state of tape uh, overview. Um, we've talked about disk and obviously SSDs when they were new. Um, what do you see in the horizon for pricing? You you ju you just described a few things, but for centers at scale, so hyperscale uh, web farms, for instance, or very huge HPC installations or media and entertainment installations, what? What things are changing for them in terms of the the price factors? Yeah, it, it, you know, tape today is always considered a couple cents a gig, and at the next generation, it will be probably below a maybe a penny, a penny and a half per gig, and in four years, you know, three quarters of a cent to one penny a gig. So, uh, it it really is it, it is one of those storage technologies um, that from a technology in a box perspective we don't have to add a lot of cost to the technology to keep getting these improvements where when you look at other storage technologies and I'll take disk drives as an example right now uh, you know Spectrologic sells disk drives um, in our products and, and disk drives are adding components into the into the system to, to take it to the next capacity so they've added helium they've done SMR they're thinking about hammer and now changed to microwave-based recording. And those technologies add cost into the actual brick itself. Where mm -hmm. tape today, we're, we're really the roadmap right now doesn't show any additional mechanisms, additional electronics, additional hardware having to go into the, the tape drive or the tape cartridge. So cost-wise, I think our cost for print will continue to, to go down every two years. Mm-hmm. There, there are some changes on the horizon for storage in general, and I'm just curious how these might affect tape. So uh, and way off on the horizon, we have this idea that um, object storage really is going to be the preferred mode of storage, uh, the possible demise of the file system as we know it uh, in HPC and other areas. Um, you know, how do these things affect how you develop for the future and, and how you think about designing products, or is this also so far out that that you <laughs> you kind of save it for later. No, no, you, you know we we put a we put an object storage in front of tape about three years ago. So we have a product called Black Pearl, um, and object and tape. Oddly enough, you brought up this. You know when you were first introducing this. You know this legacy storage device, this older technology, but tape and object storage is almost a marriage made in heaven. And and the reason being is because of. Let's just use the terms that they use, put and get. You know, you put something into an object store, you get it back out. And when you think about an archive, it's the same thing. You're putting it away, you're getting it back out. And so when you think about a tape-based archive, same, same nomenclatures really work well. And most importantly is object stores tend to teach the user they're putting it away. It's not going to be worked on while it's in this object store. Object stores are usually immutable. I'm not going to work on it there. I'm going to pull it up and put it on a scratch possible file system or in a scratch space and work on it there in the sandbox and maybe take the results and push them back out to the object store. So just the wording around how an object store works uh, works very well with tape. And, and I do see probably in the future that more people will start actually having object stores that then tear off to tape as a colder part of the object store. Right, right. That makes sense. 
um, I, I've covered HPC for, for a long time, and media and entertainment was sort of one of those fringe use cases where they had very specific requirements that were definitely different than large scientific computing facilities that, that had big tape installations. But media and entertainment, they are very object uh, oriented uh, when it comes to, to their storage environments, right? And they also, I'm guessing, are responsible for those very massive uh, uh, capacity tape installations that you have. How does media and entertainment represent maybe what's next for tape and storage more generally? And, and did we just kind of hint on that when we talked about object? So interesting enough, if you think about an object store, it's, it's a generic, you know, it, it's the generic version of what uh, media and entertainment customers have been using for a long time. Uh, they use the term MAM, Media Asset Manager, sometimes DAM, Digital Asset Manager. But basically what it is is a database of assets and a description of what they are and where they're at. So it could be a clip of a, a part of a baseball game. It could be an entire baseball game. It could be a clip of, of XYZ actor doing a certain scene. Uh, but that metadata is stored in a separate database, and then the data is stored in, in an archive, possibly in a, in a disk, a tape, or, or a combination thereof. What, what makes those guys kind of uh, different in the, in the world here is they've come from this analog world of film. So directors and, and, and producers are used to this film thing. And one thing that came up in tape uh, five plus years ago was LTFS, the Linear Tape File System. And you can think of it as a self-describing tape. Uh, you could take a tape that's written in LTFS, plug it into a standalone drive, and you'd have a 12 terabyte USB key is what it would look like to you. A very big file system that you just mounted up. Now, to get files off that, it's sequentially accessed, so it has to stream down or seek down the tape and then grab the file. But what makes this interesting in the media and entertainment world is we're seeing customers that are filming on flash, so they have a camera with some P2 flashes in it, they film on flash, they pull the flashes out of the, of the thing, make an LTFS tape, basically copy directly from flash, directly onto LTFS tape, and that tape is then equivalent to film. And then they treat that tape as if it's a film canister. So their, wor their physical workflow is now very much the same. They take the, 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 the LTFS tape back to the studio, they ingest it into the system, they take the tape back, put it on a shelf. That tape <laughs> is the original copy, will never be touched unless they have a problem with the copy that they've just ingested. And it works for their, for their film workflow. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> They're making yeah, new but, old again and old new again. Right? Yeah, it was really kind of funny when you hear about this thing, you know, the librarian, uh, and the librarian was the person who knows where all the films are. Uh, that person's <laughs> job is back doing tape. Right. That's uh, digital tape now. Is, is there a companion use case that sort of has the same idea uh, in another area, say life sciences or somewhere else where... It's, it's that sort of blending of old and new ways of doing things? Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen it as much in oil and gas and HPC. Th those guys are the heavy data lifters. They store data for a long time. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think bio may be one that, that may start to blend uh, back some of the old and the new. Um, not positive that's going to happen, but, you know, if you think about bioinformatics, uh, w what they do with tape, it, it may become interesting because really it's the collection of the data. Just like oil and gas, you sometimes can't go back and get that original sample. Um, oil and gas is where you drilled a hole 20 years ago. Now there's a neighborhood there. 
uh, we drilled that hole, you dropped a sensor down in there, thumped the ground, got a seismic um, reading out of it, and now you want to you wanna run a fast Fourier transform on that to see what's possibly down there. You can't go back and drill a new hole because there's a whole bunch of houses there. So you might run new mathematics on that, new algorithms on that, that, that old data. Uh, that same thing mm -hmm. may be held true in, 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 in what we see in, in bio. Right. Uh, this this may be a little bit of a stretch, and, and I just thought of this now when you were talking about the oil and gas use case and going back to old data, but um, AI and machine learning, at least as we look to really large-scale um, uh, deployments that, that rely on massive training sets, data is now going to become more important than ever simply to be kind of sitting cold for times that you need to train or retrain or add to some data. Is that a use case that you can envision? Are you seeing anything like that? Is that on the horizon for you? Yeah, I think that one is. And I also think that, you know, there's a, being right now in D.C., I, there's a company here called uh, VR Icon, V-R-I-C-O-N. And it was kind of interesting. They're taking, um, all, they're taking data from Digital Globe and building it into 3D maps. Well, what makes that kind of interesting is how they can actually show a city that you can walk through in a VR setting because they've built it into 3D, but you can walk through it through different time. And so for military applications, you can see what was there previously and what's there now. Um, so it is kind of an interesting thing of how that cold data can become very important to rebuild something or retrain somebody yeah. on, on you know what they're going into. That, that would be a fun podcast that has nothing to do with... Uh, you know the hardware technology, but just the the use case. That uh, sounds really neat. It was you know I, I, when I saw the the demo of it, it was it was unbelievable how they how they stitched this together. Um, it mm -hmm. really does look like they, it looks like they walked a car through that or drove a car through that with a with a large, whammy camera on top of it. Wow, of course all that takes a heck of a lot of data. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. So what are your R&D teams hard at work on then? We, we touched on some of what, what's next, um, but, but what's really uh, the focus for you and your team heading into the rest of this year? So rest of the year for us is uh, really about a couple fold. One is uh, making operations easier for the user. So what can we do from a user perspective to make things more automated, uh, give them more information, uh, self-heal and items like that. And then the other big one that we're focusing on is speed. Um, you brought it up, time to data. So what can we do to take out uh, time? And there's things like, if I can overlap the, the next mount with the previous dismount and, and somehow get less physical movement in there, those things happen faster. So it's, it's things where we're working with partners to, to kind of look upstream into their, their work queue to find out what they're doing so that we can then do things ahead of time while we have you know, possible cycles where they're not giving us anything to do, but we can know what they might need to do in the future and, and get that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I know also, just, just to conclude here, uh, you guys had some news recently. You had uh, two new tape libraries you announced, and that's interesting in itself. But you also uh, announced uh, Rocky 10 gigabit Ethernet connectivity, which I guess I don't think about this with with tape libraries so much but it's actually quite important right so yeah you know it, it is one of these things where it, it the lion's share of every enterprise class tape today is connected over fiber channel uh eight gig fiber channel some on 16 gig switches uh but the data center is is changing and, and fiber channel i don't want to say is going away but it's it's not the dominant serial connect anymore and ethernet is the converged ethernet is and so you're seeing places where tape libraries are deployed and the only time they have fiber channel 
is for that tape library. And those customers are asking for, you know, some other connection, preferably over Ethernet. And Rocky is the is the predominant choice there. So a Rocky two a Rocky two version, um, really where you can get that fiber channel like performance over a converged Ethernet. Right. Uh, I, I imagine that's big for your HPC and media entertainment and all those big verticals we talked about. Right? Yeah, the, the, the number one vertical for that is today is cloud. Uh, mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the, probably the number one driver for that. They, they don't have any um, cloud providers usually don't have any fiber channel in their data center. And the other two that are really starting to drive it now are, are as you said, media and entertainment and HPC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said it was my last question. I guess I lied. <laughs> uh, what can you tell us about your interactions with some of the big cloud providers? Uh, obviously, I know you can't name names if you're not allowed, but you know what momentum or trends do you see there? Um, yeah, we can't, we can't. We're under NDA with the ones we work with. Um, I, I would say that probably the trend I see is is that they are adopting tape for the same reason uh, that most large HPC oil and gas and and pick um, bioinformatic customers are is because a lot of their data is cold and they have to keep it forever. Um, we do have one, I don't want to call them a cloud provider, but we have a photographic uh, site that basically um, what they do is you upload your photos to them uh, and then you can build up a calendar or a greeting card and click print and it'll arrive at a local store. Those guys have to now store the data forever. So if you give them your pictures, and you print a copy of those, they'll, they'll keep that high resolution image forever. Um, and, and when are you going to go back and print that again? So <laughs> it's an ideal storage model for tape. I, I hope those are compressed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, as well as they can be, yes. Right. Very good. Well, Matt Starr from Spectralogic, thank you so much for sharing insights uh, from your 24 plus years at Spectra and, of course, about the future of the industry in general. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you for the time. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.